This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. As Wells Fargo tries to get out from under their massive account fraud scandal, an interesting thing has occurred. They want to settle the disputes through arbitration and not in court, much in the same way they settle other disputes over accounts with their customers. We don't know yet what the courts will say about this, but right now Wells Fargo seems like they are trying anything they can do to save itself. We welcome back Wharton's Peter Connie Brown, Assistant Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics, into the studio to discuss this. Also joining us on the phone, Lisa Cook, Associate Professor of Economics and International Relations at Michigan State University. Peter, great to see you again. Thank Always you. a pleasure. Thank you, Lisa. Great to have you joining us again. Glad to be with you. Thank you. I, Peter, I mean, we were kind of joking about this before we went on the air. I mean, we realize this is the norm for them, using arbitration uh, to to handle many of these disputes, but this does appear to be slightly out of touch with the consumers, does it not? It absolutely does. And it's not only the norm for Wells Fargo, it's increasingly the norm for essentially any consumer relationship that one might have with a, a large business, entirely at the discretion of the business. And anytime you've ever... Uh, checked, I accept the terms and conditions of this yeah. license without reading, which all of us do, uh, chances are very strong that you've accepted uh, a, a, a profound limitation on your ability to sue the company you're doing business with, be it your cell phone carrier or, in this case, your bank. What's different here, and the word that I think a lot of people are using is just the chutzpah, right? Because right. the challenge right. here is not, right. you know, you. I hate my AT&T or, or T-Mobile or, or cell phone carrier because I feel like I'm being charged too much for the service I receive, right? That's one kind of complaint about arbitration. Here we have Wells Fargo saying, we created fraudulent accounts. And you want to say that we created fraudulent accounts. But you have to arbitrate to even determine whether we did this thing uh, uh, in exchange for no good or service that you received. And frankly, the way that their arbitration clause is written, it's it's breathtakingly broad. It, Lisa, <laughs> I, 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 I'll let you take it from there because I'm still kind of trying to wrap my head around this. Well, you know, one key feature is that mandatory arbitration is a rule that comes when you sign an account opening agreement. Mm -hmm. These people did not sign <laughs> yeah. account opening agreements. And like Elizabeth Warren, I'm just dumbfounded. It's it's like, you know, why spend this money on an advertising campaign to consumers, <laughs> right? And and yet you're saying to them, you have to go to court to arbitrate this as if it were business as usual. And this is the height to me of business as usual. And I just don't understand. I think the same public relations firm who is advising uh, or who was advising John Stump is advising Wells Fargo on how to deal with arbitration. I mean, yeah. It yeah. is just astounding. Well, I, I don't understand it. It, it was amazing to me. We, one of the things that, that Peter brought up, uh, Lisa, before uh, we jumped on the air here is the fact that, you know, even if if you're a customer of Wells Fargo and and you slip and fall out front of one of their locations, you can't sue them 
because of of the clause that you have in in your deal with mm-hmm. them as an account holder, or even if you mm-hmm. went to to gain information about Wells Fargo and they took your data down, then you said, "Nah, I'm not going to do it." And mm-hmm. they you ended up in this case, this this fraud case. You you technically could not sue them. It, it's right. it's an amazing right. level of. of uh, I, I'm staggered by this. It is absolutely. It was the the way that they did this. I'm mean, I'm wondering. It, it gives me great pause, obviously, on the on the substantive issues, but also about exactly what Wells Fargo's strategy is to recover from this scandal. Right. And their calculation right. is is structured more or less more or less along these lines. How much is it going to cost us to uh, fend off these class action lawsuits that are coming in federal court? It's going to be much more costly than an arbitration, right. much more uncertainty. In arbitration, mm-hmm. uh, Wells Fargo doesn't have complete control over the arbitrators. It's not, it's not completely corrupt. But they have an extraordinary amount of control over right. who gets yeah. to hear these cases and especially who gets to be hired again. So if they get an adverse ro- ruling, then that arbitrator or that arbitral panel um, can, f- uh, can suffer future consequences. So, so the, uh, the, that decision, that cost factor is, in putting, is something that they've considered. They rewrote their arbitration clause uh, in, in the last five years to give it this breadth. And the breadth includes for fraud. Disputes about fraud, disputes yeah. about tort. That's where I'm getting the slip and fall case. I mean, this is about the only torts you could imagine. I mean, if a bank mm-hmm. employee uh, had a gun that misfired and shot you in the arm, that's a, and you want to sue them about that, that's covered by arbitration. Um, and, and, and so, I'm oh, sorry, Lisa. Yeah. Well, I was just going to add that it just, it, it seems, I'm, I'm not an attorney. You would uh, know more about this than, than I, but it seems to me that... Fraud cannot be credibly included in such a preemptive clause. Fraud, can, I mean, uh, you know, this is this is criminal behavior. I I, I just don't think that um, that would uh, that would stand up. I, I I mean, just logically. Well, uh, what do you think? I mean, realistically, we're still you know waiting to hear what the uh, what the courts may say about this, Lisa. What what's your expectation that we might hear as a ruling in this? Well, so so this is this is the thing. This is not being done in isolation. Right. Uh, as as Peter was saying, this is a repeated game. So um, Wells Fargo hires the arbitration uh, panel, and this is a repeated game. They may not be hired back, but the problem is this is not happening in isolation with respect to the public. The, the cat's out of the bag. Right. Everybody's paying attention to this. And even if we've said, like before, that Wells Fargo isn't the only one probably engaging in these practices, it was the one that was caught. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that this behavior is a a one shot, or they're believing it to be a one shot game. If I were, um, if I were a a court, you know, I would, you know, I I think I'd have to take this much more seriously than I take other that I would take other cases. Right. And I I would hope that it would um, proceed. It would it, it would not have to go to arbitration. Some uh, some history around Wells Fargo's use of this. Remember that the the scandal. I'm not I'm not exactly sure what the why the announcement of the settlement with the Comptroller of the Currency and the CFPB uh, ricocheted 
across so many headlines and caused the scandal there because the LA Times had been reporting on yeah. this exactly uh, for the last since 2013. And one thing the LA Times reported was a year ago, December 2015, was about exactly this. And courts have spoken on this. A district court, a federal district court in California, is the one that said. Yeah, it's the, this is the arbitration clause as written. Yeah, uh, federal law favors arbitration over uh, over uh, litigation, and so you know you have to. You, this is this is acceptable. People signed up for this. The ones who signed, uh, to be clear, the ones who signed to become Wells Fargo customers, who then right. had additional accounts right. opened in their name. Right. The court right. says that's fine, and and for those who said uh, I'm not even a Wells Fargo customer, the court said, well, that's a harder case. But Wells Fargo is disputing that. And so that dispute itself has got to be subject to arbitration. And then maybe it might come back to federal court. But mm-hmm. here's something that's so interesting. Wells Fargo didn't arbitrate that case. They won. They had to go to arbitration. And they immediately settled. And I mm-hmm. think what Wells Fargo is trying to do in this Utah case, which is where, uh, which is what's causing the headline this week, is probably trying to just raise the costs of this yeah. litigation for – uh, plaintiffs so that they can settle these things individually. I will be very surprised if Wells Fargo uh, tries to arbitrate a single one of these cases uh, uh, with uh, that has mm. any merit to them because they, they want to settle them individually because that's going to be more cost effective. But this is Lisa's point. Who? Wh- what's the point of their marketing and their advertising yeah. and saying we've recovered from this, we've learned our lessons yeah. when they're getting all kinds of free advertising that's pointing the other direction? And that, that's what I wonder about the, the, the structure of their costs here. Uh, they have, they're making a calculation that the cost of litigating this is greater than the cost to their reputation uh, for, for such terrible headlines. Mm-hmm. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. If you're a Wells Fargo customer and you're getting this news for the first time, what do you think that you may very well be stuck having to go to arbitration uh, after this fraud scandal? 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call right now. Or if you cannot get your phone, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. One of the interesting things, Peter, that you brought up to me beforehand is that also the election plays a little bit of a role in this, in the fact that a lot of this would be handled by the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, uh, but the CFPB may not be the same now, or I should say six months or a year down the road, as it has been the last couple of years because of some of the things that Donald Trump has been saying about potential changes to that entity. So Donald Trump has been, as with so many other areas of policy and economic policy, uh, either on both sides or no side of of these issues. Um, The Republicans uh, who now control um, both White House and both houses of Congress have been very clear what they'd like to see happen to the CFPB. And in particular, they'd like to see what happens to the CFPB's uh, announcement barring arbitration in exactly these kinds of cases. They'd like to see that go away. They'd like to see the CFPB gutted. They'd like to see right. it turned into an agency that has neither uh, uh, subpoena power nor uh, can pass nor regulations funding. without with, – and it has a f- appropriated funding through Congress yeah. and that has, uh, has to uh, show in every regulation uh, what the costs and benefits of that regulation are, uh, which is a process that's very easy to manipulate if you're an industry insider. So um, participating in that process. So the CFPB, if this is accomplished, 
simply wouldn't be pursuing uh, these kinds of cases in the same way. So right. the election has enormous implications for uh, Wells Fargo consumers. Lisa? And, and uh, it, there are two comments I made quickly on, on this point. I think it is unfortunate that the CFTB is set up the way it is with a director rather than um, members um, like the um, FCC or um, the FOMC, for example. So, you know, um, people who are appointed so that if the director goes, uh, you know, the whole thing could uh, could fall apart. Or if any of these other measures that Peter is mentioning went into effect, um, it could become toothless. So, uh, so I think that that uh, could be one uh, remedy for the future. But, uh, but as Peter was saying, the, the election has huge ramifications. But to go back to our earlier point, I think a resolution for Wells Fargo would be along the lines of this, just to just to settle it. I I love talking to you two both about Wells Fargo. But yeah. <laughs> and this is a story that keeps on giving. Yeah. It, it does. Higher, they need to hire Ken Feinberg yeah. and set up a fund yeah. and just move on with it. Yeah. I mean, it, it you know, it, it these are working at cross purposes. It's not as though these angry customers are going to forget. It's not as though uh, the CFPB is going to forget, and hopefully the, the L.A. Times is as well. But they, they just need to do something big like this, like the, the uh, Volkswagen uh, fund yeah. or any of the funds that Ken Feinberg has, uh, has overseen or the, someone the, like him. I'm just saying. The BP, know, uh, the BP like fund. Him. The BP fund as yeah, well. Exactly. The BP fund. Um, the GM uh, recall fund. I mean, yeah. all of this, right? I mean, uh, they they need a person like this who uh, who has the expertise, and they need to set up a credible fund. I, I think that uh, BP, uh, if I recall originally, didn't set up a credible fund at first, and then did, and uh, General Motors did from the outset. But there's a lot of learning that has come with uh, Ken Feinberg's work. Well, uh, go ahead, Peter. Well, if I so I, I teach uh, uh, will teach ethics courses to MBAs, and Wells Fargo is certainly going to be a case that we use, and it's going to be a case of just staggering missteps along the way. Yeah, um, right. Right. and and the exactly the kind of global resolution that Lisa's talking about um, is something that Wells Fargo has certainly considered. It's not like they're ignorant of these other scandals. It's not like they're ignorant right. of right. Uh, the fact that they're stretching this. And, and injecting life into the scandal with every one of these maneuvers. It is simply that they think that they can stretch this out and make it more cost-effective. Cost right. yeah. right. And there's, there have right. been other scandals that go in exactly that direction. Vioxx, mm -hmm. Merck, right? They mm -hmm. litigated mm -hmm. piecemeal yeah. uh, their challenges against it for a very long time before doing their global settlement. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and that was part of their strategy. Um, how, how is the Vioxx brand doing? Right. Yeah, that's the question right. we should right. be asking. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And does Wells Fargo want to look more like uh, General Motors or British Petroleum, a damaged brands to be sure, but ones that can recover? Uh, Volkswagen right. that probably remains to be seen, but looks like it would be uh, recoverable. If Wells Fargo right. becomes synonymous 
with insulting and ripping off and uh, yep. uh, uh, and and attacking consumers, then it's not clear how they can survive. Well, and, and, right. and Lisa, it comes at a time still, and we talked about this, you know, recently on on the show about the potential issues around Dodd Frank, uh, but right. we're talking about an industry, the banking industry, which still has several black eyes. From right. 2006, 2007, 2008, and 2009. And, right. and, and the yeah. fact that these types of events still are going on and they are played out just in the way, as Peter said, to, you know, to try and manage this to the, to, you know, to the absolute penny instead of thinking about the, the PR end of it and, and moving on down the road. It's, it's, a, it's a staggering thing for the state of the banking industry in general. That's right. That's right. And let's add to it. So that's a that's a regulatory side. Let's add to it the fact that people are still hurting. They are still anxious yep. about the banks not having paid what they thought generally for the financial crisis. I mean, and this is not you know this isn't just PR. People yep. are actually hurting. I think this came across loud and clear. Um, throughout this election cycle. And and it is a deeply felt sentiment. I mean, I, I'm speaking here from, from East Lansing, from Michigan. This is still deeply felt that they got away with murder mm-hmm. during the uh, financial and economic crisis, and they haven't paid fully for it. So in the middle of this, Wells Fargo is saying, you know, we're just ignoring that and we're making uh, another set of decisions and we're nickeling and diming the process and we hope to at least get the, uh, the amount down. Well, you know, why not set up the fund uh, and, you know, show, show not only uh, goodwill, but my sense is that this will, you know, their, their brand will come, will be diminished at a price. It doesn't right. seem like they're doing a general equilibrium calculation. That's the way, as an economist, I would think about it. Mm-hmm. They're just thinking about sort of the, the short run and uh, short run costs, and they're not thinking about the long term. And I think that, that Lisa's point here complicates the political picture. So to those ardent CFPB foes who see this election as their golden opportunity to eradicate it from the federal administrative landscape, right. I would say not so fast. Right. Ask yourselves, in the Trump coalition, do you think enthusiasm for pro-growth banking policies, which is kind of the rhetoric around abolishing the CFPB or significantly limiting it, has as much purchase as a rhetoric around making bankers pay? Sure. And if yeah. your exhibit A is Wells Fargo and their practices <laughs> are steadfastly fraudulent yeah. and their uh, uh, dispute resolution uh, full of chutzpah and just jaw-dropping insensitivity, then the question is really, what is that going to do to the Republicans and to the Trump administration if they're seen as coddling exactly this kind of behavior? So right. I, don't, I think right. that reports that the CFPB's demise are imminent or premature. Um, because yeah. of exactly this kind of political uh, maneuvering. And you can bet that the CFPB and the Democrats are going to make Wells Fargo a prominent part of any legislative debate about the CFPB's future. I, I, will, throw, I will throw one thing in, Lisa, and then I'll let you, uh, let you respond to that. I, it, it, when you just think about, though, what we have in society right now in terms of journalistic coverage and, and you know, f- kind of connecting the dots, in many cases, 
they won't think about that because they believe that the majority of Americans, even though we this election was seen as a little bit of a referendum, uh, people will not think that that the average consumer will connect the dots. Yeah, sure. And I think that ends up being a reason why that the banking yeah. industry thinks that they still have life and to be able to do things like this. Mm-hmm. Lisa? Right, right. I, I think that is a – you reminded us of something starkly. Um, but, you know, there's another point at which this will come up in the confirmation hearings for the uh, Treasury Secretary. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I think that um, so this, uh, this, this group – uh, that is being uh, nominated will not be uh, subject to the kind of, while they are all quite wealthy and they're, you know, they're, many of them are, are insiders, the, the people who have been nominated to cabinet post, um, none has the history that uh, Steve uh, Mnuchin has um, of being an insider at uh, Goldman Sachs to be to be so associated with the problems related to the financial and economic crisis, I mean, with uh, with One West um, and with its uh, aggressive foreclosure uh, practices and its violations that uh, occurred mainly in communities of of color and in low income neighborhoods. I mean, this is. I think all of this is going to come out. I can. I mean, I can possibly write the script for Elizabeth Warren myself. Uh, this is this is this is gonna be quite heated. So so I think Peter is right. I, I don't think that I, I think it might be premature to say that not only is the CFPB uh, CFPB's demise uh, uh, premature, but I think uh, brushing aside these considerations uh, is possibly premature. This coalition has been uh, quite vocal. Uh, about what it expects to see in the future and how uh, the uh, one's feet in the administration uh, need to be held to the fire. The amazing thing is that, you know, we go back a, a, a few weeks at the beginning of this whole Wells Fargo thing. You know, everybody has the visible uh, memory of uh, John Stumpf saying and talking about the fact that uh, he was not going to leave his position. I mean right, that right, that right, yeah. that goes that goes yeah. to that brazenness that you know that right. that is kind of in and about that company right now. Right, that's it. That's it. And you know, he famously said, "And the board has uh, confidence in me. I'm I'm staying on. I'm going to see this through." And uh, and that was uh, a that was premature. And, and secondly, it was a full display of a hubris. Yeah. In those same conversations, recall, Senator Warren pressed him on the enforceability of exactly these arbitration clauses in their contracts with respect to the fraudulent activity. And Stump said, well, I'll look at this with my lawyers. So again, this is a calculated decision. They looked at it with their lawyers and decided to press forward in spite of the idea that uh, the new CEO... Uh, is uh, eager to put this scandal to bed. That seems that he's more eager to fight these uh, these lawsuits piecemeal by forcing them into arbitration. I guess to a degree, it, it also and obviously uh, there's really there hasn't been any connection to his knowledge in, in what was going on. I don't think, but it does kind of give you the sense that once again, it just proves 
and, and you see it by the fact that you know he's been in that company for what twenty five years. Yeah. That he is a company man, and he's going to toe the company line, no matter what the impact ends up being on the consumer right now. And that does not speak well for for a company like Wells Fargo. They lost. Hey, sorry, go ahead, Lisa. I was just going to say. You know, I, as an economist, I guess I'm just constantly thinking about efficiency. What are you spending on advertising versus what are you spending, uh, spending on legal fees? It just seems like everything is being offset. I don't understand what the profit maximization or loss minimization problem they're solving is. It, it doesn't seem and, – and then, you know, I'm not including – um, brand diminution, mm-hmm. right, and and minimization of the brand. So I, I just fundamentally don't understand it, and that's why you know even I'm saying, Uncle, please bring in Ken Feinberg. Yeah, please. right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, so I'm I'm guessing if I'd put myself in the shoes of Tim Sloan, Wells CEO, after making this decision, filing this brief, and in. in Utah, uh, pushing this uh, arbitration argument. My sense is that they are making a f- what seems to me uh, to be a fairly wild bet, and their bet is that we- that the angry coalition that has backed Donald Trump and then backed in part Hillary Clinton, just the, the general anger in the economy is temporary or manipulable can be redirected or yeah. misdirected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that the 20% uh, drop uh, one quarter to the next in the opening of new accounts at Wells Fargo that they saw uh, is a floor as opposed to the beginning of a longer descent. And that bet, yeah. see, I, they have much more information than I have, of course, on the outside. But that does seem to be like a bet. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I would like yeah, to know more sure. about the coefficients in front of uh, each of their projected outcomes because it seems to me yeah. that they're weighing heavily in favor yep. of this idea that they've got yep. such brand durability or that the right. zeitgeist is going to get distracted and move on to something else, that they're going to right. weather this by continuing to do themselves short-term harm. Right. Well, I, 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 Go ahead, sorry. Lisa. Well, I was just thinking they're not I, I'm not sure how they're taking into account the uh, Treasury Secretary's confirmation hearings, but I think it'll be interesting. Yeah. Well, I will say this and, and thank you to both of you that Wells Fargo did get a little bit of a black eye here in Philadelphia last night uh, and totally away from the banking thing in the fact that they have the naming rights on the arena here in Philadelphia. And the basketball team here in Philadelphia could not play because of an issue with the floor being wet last night. So Wells Fargo, in the middle of all this other stuff, <laughs> takes a little bit of a black eye in the sports world last night as well. So there's, just, there's, just to throw on top a little more, uh, more, a little more fuel on the fire. There's a powerful metaphor in there somewhere. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. Great to see you again. Thank yeah, you. Of course. You got it. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.